thank you for joining us for this broadcast from the Ninth Avenue Church of Christ in Haleyville, Alabama. We hope that you will subscribe and will share our broadcast with others. Now, we take you to the pulpit of the Ninth Avenue Church of Christ. Take your Bibles out and turn them to Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19, as we're going to look at the triumphant entry um, of Jesus today. Um, I'm working on on this sermon, kind of trying to figure out what to preach on all week, and 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 had kind of settled into a a, a certain kind of frame of, of time in the life of Jesus, because next Sunday is Easter, and so there's a lot of things that happen in the life of Jesus leading up to that moment. Um, that we celebrate on Easter, that we uh, look at as, as that time in which Jesus was uh, crucified and then three days later raised from the dead. In the last couple of weeks, Jonathan and I, even though we've not meant to do it, uh, kind of hit kind of two of the last big ministry moments of Jesus' life leading into that time on his way, as he's on his way to Jerusalem to be crucified. But something very interesting happens in Luke chapter 19, um, and we're going to kind of talk about that and look at that. One of the things, okay, so, so right now going on kind of in our, um, kind of going on on TV right now is it is award season. So the Grammys and the Oscars and all, you know, those different award ceremonies are going on. And for a lot of people, the most interesting part of these things outside of Will Smith this morning is... The red carpet. The red carpet. What's the, the famous phrase of walking down the red, red carpet? Who are you wearing? Who Was that Ron? All the people in the room, all the women, all the ladies. Ron knew the fashion question answer. There you go. Um, and so... You know, that, that red carpet moment is, is a lot of people's moment to shine. And then there's also some of those people, and I'm sure Ron can tell you, that you look at and you're like, what are they thinking, right? That's, those are my favorite ones, right? Those are my favorite ones. Uh, there was one, one girl, I guess it was at the... Um, I guess it was at the Oscars. I saw it later. They were like, um, they go, who are you wearing? She goes, I'm wearing success. She goes, this is what success looks like. And I'm like, okay, so you got a little spunk in you, you know. But they're all, you know, it's just that moment walking down the red carpet and you're like, okay, this is my moment to shine. This is, this is my moment. And Luke chapter 19 very much is Jesus' red carpet moment. It's his moment to shine as the king of kings, as the king uh, that, that, that he was going to be, not necessarily in the way that the people thought he was going to be, and we're going to talk about that, but it was his moment to shine. It was really a change kind of in the dynamic of Jesus' life because up to that point, many times when Jesus would, uh, would perform a miracle, when he would heal somebody, when he would do uh, some things, he was very adamant to tell people very, very, very many, very many moments, very adamant to be like, hey, don't talk about this. My time has not yet come. Okay, don't, don't make this, don't make this a big deal. Now, how well do you think that worked? Um, if, if you were blind and Jesus came and he healed you and you could see and he goes, hey, but don't tell anybody about this. Like, how many of you are obeying Jesus in that moment? 
And how many of you are like, hey, guess what just happened? How many of you are going to be more like that? Like, I mean, it's going to be obvious. I mean, you're blind 10 minutes before, and now you can see, like, something's happened, right? But, but he's like, hey, don't give, don't give me the credit. The guy that he healed with leprosy, he says, hey, go to the priest and present yourself the way you're supposed to, but don't necessarily mention, you know, that I'm the guy that did this. And so Jesus' life, Jesus tried Jesus tried, I think, as much as he could to minister in a quiet way, to minister in a way that didn't cause a big scene, that it was about God and not about him. But now, as we open up our Bibles to Luke chapter 19, that's all fixing to change. It's fixing to become very public. It's fixing to become very known and, and out there. And so let, let's go to our passage here and... Um, Let's go to our passage here. So Luke chapter 19, and we're going to start in verse 28. If you've got your Bibles, hold your Bibles up this morning. Hold your Bibles up. All right. Even if you've got your lightsabers, sword, lightsaber, whichever one works, okay? Luke chapter 19. Hold on a second. Chew that peppermint up so I can read. All right. After Jesus had said this, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. As he approached Bethpage and Bethany... At the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you. As you enter it, you will find a colt tied there with no, uh, that no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, what are you untying it? Say, the Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went and found it just as they were told. As they were untying the colt, its owner asked, Why are you untying the colt? They replied, The Lord needs it. They brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt, and put Jesus on it. As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. When he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. Let's stop right there. This is a change of pace for Jesus. Jesus had been all about subtlety in a lot of ways. Hey, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to heal you, I'm going to do this for you, but hey, don't go tell anybody about it. Keep it quiet, keep it calm. But now all of a sudden, Jesus is allowing those around him to make a scene. He's allowing those around him to call him the king, the God, the Lord that he is. Now, let's try to put a lot of this in context and kind of understand what's going on. Um, it's, it's pretty obvious. We know here that Jesus is uh, on his way to the cross. It's Passover. There are tons of people in Jerusalem, but around Jesus, and I, and I think this was a big part of, of why he wanted to try to to, to keep a, a low of a profile as possible because he knew that when the time came near for his crucifixion that it was going to be a, a high-tension time. The, the leaders, the, the religious uh, elite, those that um, did not want Jesus to be king because that would take all of their power away, you know, they are, they're getting real anxious. They're getting real nervous. They, they realize that you know, this could be a problem for them. And so they're, they're trying to figure out a way, how do we deal 
with Jesus. And later on in the story, we, we know that, you know, they go to Judas and they figure out, hey, we'll get this guy to turn this, this Jesus guy in. And so, so they're on their way and they're coming toward Jerusalem. And we see here, and I think it's important to, to, to notice this. There are two different parts to the, to the group that are kind of with Jesus. We, we talked last week about, you know, the, the crowd that was following Jesus and we had these Messiah saviors, you know, these Messiah protectors that when the blind man called out, you know, Jesus, son of David, what did they do? They were like, hey, hush, be quiet. He doesn't have time for you, you know. And, and so you, you've got those disciples, okay, you've got those followers of Jesus, <coughs> but obviously mixed into the group is, is some of those Pharisees, some of those spiritual leaders, some of those religious elite and, and they're getting anxious, of course, about what's going on. And they look at you. So you've got part of the group that's excited and they are acknowledging Jesus as king. And they're saying, you are, uh, I love the songs that we've sung through the morning because all of those songs were around this idea of who Jesus is and, and, and what he is. And that is the attitude coming in that they are, bringing Jesus in as the king, as the king. And this image of Jesus coming in on, on the back of a cult, some, some passages, some, some um, uh, other texts calls it a donkey. That was an image that was so prominent for these people. Because when, especially, let's just take it in the immediate context, when a Roman um, general, when he... Um, won a, a, a victory, he would ride back into town in this, on this great glorious horse as, as the victor. But for the Jewish people, keep your, keep your Bibles marked here in Luke and flip over with me to 1 Kings. 1 Kings. I think it's interesting that, that, a, that a donkey was, was kind of the idea here, was, was the animal chosen. And a lot of people say, well, that just shows Jesus' humility. But I believe... I believe that there's more to it than that. I think there's a greater, a greater moment here. So David, in 1 Kings, David is realizing that his time as king is coming to an end. He's, he's getting old and he realizes that it's time to pass on his kingship to Solomon. And so he decides to, to go ahead and make Solomon king. And so in chapter 1 and verse 32... Uh, and I'm going to mispronounce some of these words, so just hang with me. King David said, call in Zodak, the priest, Nathan, the prophet, and Benaiah, the son of Jehodiah. When they came before the king, he said, take your Lord's servant with you and have Solomon, my son, mount my own mule and take him to Gion. There have Zodak, the priest, and Nathan, the prophet, anoint him king over Israel, blow the trumpet and shout, Long live King Solomon. Then you are to go up with him and he is to come and sit on my throne and reign in my place. I have appointed him ruler over Israel and Judah. So you keep reading that section and that's exactly what happened, that it wasn't this majestic horse that Solomon rides in on. It is a mule. It, it, it is a, 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 what we would consider maybe a lesser animal. And that is very much the image and the, 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 the scene of Jesus as he comes into this moment. I love the response. 
the response, if you read all the different accounts from Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the responses of the people that are standing around. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. Blessed is the coming king of our father. Uh, and then, as we read um, in, in prophecy, uh, it says that they will say, Rejoice greatly, O daughters of Zion. Shout, daughters of Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and having salvation, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. So the crowd is around Jesus, and they're yelling, Here comes our king. Here comes our king. How many of you believe this morning that this is an accurate image of Jesus, Jesus the king? How many of you look at Jesus this morning and say, Jesus is my king? Jesus is my king. So you've got one group that's excited saying, hey, Jesus is my king. And then you have another group. You have this Pharisee group, and they're very uncomfortable with what's going on. They're very uncomfortable with the excitement. They're very uncomfortable with um, the precedent that's being set with the imagery that's going on. They're very uncomfortable with people going, hey, this guy is going to be our king, okay? They're very uncomfortable with all of this. And, and they, they have what I call the wet blanket syndrome, the wet blanket syndrome. And I, I first heard about the wet blanket syndrome from, from, from a, a, a great dear friend named Miss Ann. And she said, you know, Christians, what they like to do when you've got somebody in the pew with you that's on fire and you're not, what we like to do as Christians is take a wet blanket and just throw it over top of them because we can get uncomfortable when someone's excited about Jesus and we're really not. We can get nervous when they're excited about Jesus, but we're really not. And these Pharisees had this wet blanket syndrome and all these people, I mean, how excited would we be if we walked outside and everybody was downtown yelling and shouting, Jesus is King, Jesus is Lord. I mean, wouldn't we be like, man, this is great. This is wonderful. But there's going to be some people that are like, slow down, slow down. Don't love Jesus that much. Don't get that excited about Jesus. And that's what these Pharisees did. They look at Jesus and they say, hey, you need to control these people. These people are on fire for you. We can't have that. Slow them down. And what's Jesus' response? One of my favorite responses of all scripture. If they don't call out and worship me, what does he say? The stones will. Jesus was going to be called the king one way or another. And these guys had a really big problem with that. Okay, so what? That, that's, that's, that's the question I've asked myself all week. So what? What does this story have to do with me? What does this story have to do with us? I understand, I understand it in the moment. I, I understand the importance of it. I understand the visual context of it. But I, what I've wrestled with all week and, and almost moved past it and, and went to something else because I wanted to preach something in this, this week leading up to Easter from the le week leading up to uh, the death and burial and resurrection. And I'm, so I've, I've kind of been like, okay, so, so what does this have to do with us? I think there's a lot of parallels. Um, I see a parallel where, where the disciples are following Jesus um, and they understand that the kingdom has arrived and they could see it all unfolding. They see him riding in Jerusalem and they're, and they're welcoming the establishment of Jesus' kingdom. But 
Their idea of Jesus' kingdom was not the church, was it? Their idea of Jesus' kingdom was he's going to come in and he's going to overthrow the Romans and he's going to be this, this king like David was, this conquering king. And you see that, I believe, with, with Peter in the garden when he's ready to draw his sword and defend his king, you know, he's going to take care of this. Um, so, so I think that's going on, but that's not necessarily the complete parallel that I see. But, but, but what I do see in that idea is I see the parallel that God surprised them all. God surprised them all. You see, like the people who were following Jesus, some people saw Jesus as a problem. Okay, some people saw Jesus as a problem. Some people saw Jesus as a problem solver. We've got this problem where we're under rule and, and we, don't, we, we want our kingdom back. We want our freedom back. So Jesus is going to be our problem solver. Um, some people saw Jesus as simply a healer. Some people saw Jesus as simply a rabbi or simply a teacher. Everybody had their own idea of who Jesus was, of what he was, and why he came. But I believe the parallel that we see here is that despite what they thought Jesus was, or who they thought Jesus was, God surprised them all. And I say that because I believe each and every one of us has an idea of who we think Jesus is and what role he plays in our life. And, and, and I'll, I'll even take it a step further, and maybe this becomes more personal, because I believe that a lot of us, most of us, can probably agree on the idea that, above all, Jesus is our Savior. But I also think that we all carry an idea of what we think, if you'll allow me to use the word, what church is supposed to be. Of what church is supposed to be. Um, I've got a... I've got a cheat book in my office, and I've had it um, since I was in college, and it's called the Minister's Manual, the Minister's Manual, and it's, it was a very, very good tool for me when I first started in ministry because it's got, I mean, it's got like how to, um, you know, it's got thoughts and ideas on, on visitation and on worship and on, on, on how to do a wedding and how to do like wedding counseling and all these different things that it's a cheat sheet of, okay, I'm going to go and I've got to uh, speak at uh, this certain event. And it's got a section in there that probably coincides with that event with about 15 scriptures that relate to that. And so you don't have to do a whole lot of searching. It's just, it's, it's, it's the preacher's cheat sheet. And, and in, in that idea, in that book, it talks about, uh, at the time, the three major generations that made up the church. And how each of them looked at worship and looked at evangelism and, and looked at different things. Um, and it was very enlightening because I was of the younger generation. And um, I, I, like, I really agreed and, and liked the things that those kind of, that kind of part um, talked about. But then some of the things from the older generation, like I saw and I knew they felt that way. But, you know, I didn't completely understand why. And, and, and let me ask you this. Have you ever looked around and just wondered, why does this generation feel this way about something? 
or why does that generation feel like you, you do you ever get to a point where you look at a group of people and you're like I know they're my brother and sister but I really don't know how to relate to them because it feels like there's such a gap in between where they are in their faith and what they believe and what they think church is supposed to be and look like and what I feel and what I think and how I feel church is supposed to look like. And that's a very challenging place to be as a church. It's a very challenging place to be as a church. And, and now our churches are made up of more than three generations. Our church and, and this congregation in particular, we strongly represent five different generations. And each one of those generations are going to have thoughts and opinions and feelings and, and, and wants and desires. And I think that a lot of us will agree on some of the really, really core issues of Scripture but then there's going to be our own opinions and thoughts and ideas of how we think other things should be and go and do and happen. And that's a challenging place to be. That's a challenging place to be. And what I think above everything else is regardless of how we feel and think about church and about Jesus, I think the parallel here is that if we just really humble ourselves, we will see that God will surprise each of us about what's really important and what really matters when we decide to truly allow Jesus to be the king of our life. Because you see, a lot of people are like this. I want Jesus and. I want Jesus and my hobbies. I want Jesus and this. I want Jesus and that. You fill in the blanks. We all have this idea. I think a lot of times I want Jesus and I want Jesus to be part of my life, but we struggle with saying, Jesus, I want to allow you to be all of my life. Do you believe that? Do you have that struggle in your life that, that Jesus is right here? He says, I'm everything you need, but man, it's hard to let go of some of these other things. I want Jesus and something else. I don't want to have any preconceived ideas about what Jesus wants. I've got a lot of ideas. I've, I've probably got, outside of maybe Jonathan, I've probably got more ideas for this church than anybody else in this room. That's all I do is think about ideas. What can we do next? What, what's, what's, what's coming up? What, what are we gonna do next? What, what needs to be done? I, I got a lot of them. But I don't wanna have any really preconceived ideas about what God truly wants. I want him to determine those things. And I want to simply follow his direction and his will. I read this story this week, and I don't know if this is a true story. It's one of those preacher stories, you know, that it could be true, it could be not. But it was about an emperor years and years ago that had decided that, that he was going to pass on his kingdom. And, and he called in some of the smartest and brightest young men in his kingdom because he didn't have any heirs himself. And he said, I'm going to give each one of you a seed in a year from now. I'm going to call you back and I'm going to see what you've done with this seed. And, and, and based on what you've done with this seed is going to determine who is the next emperor of, of my kingdom. And so he gives all these guys these seeds and they go home and they plant them. And this one guy in, in, in particular realized that after so many weeks that that his seed wasn't doing anything. His seed wasn't growing. And he's talking to the guys that, that were there with him. And they're like, oh yeah, our, our seed is, has grown to a plant this tall and that tall. And, and 
And, and as the year went on by, his seed did nothing. And he's talking to his buddies. They're like, yeah, well, my, my tree looks like this and my plant looks like that. And he's so discouraged. But they all show back up a year later. And they all bring their pots with their trees and their plants that had grown from this seed. And then there's this one guy with nothing. The king looks at him and says, hey, come here, come here. You're the guy. You're the guy. And he said, well, what do you mean I'm the guy? He goes, I, I didn't do anything. He goes, exactly. He said, I boiled all these seeds before I gave them to you. They were never going to grow. He said, everybody else has lied. Everybody else has created their own idea of what they think would make me happy. He said, but your honesty, your purity is what made me happy. And, and that, that, that seems like a simple story. But, but that made my mind go to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, starting in verse 1, says, Brother and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly, mere infants in Christ. I give you milk, not solid food, for you are not yet ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready. You are still worldly. For since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere humans? For one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos. Are you not mere human beings? What, after all, is Apollos? And what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe. As the Lord has assigned to each his task, I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything but only God who makes things grow. The one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose, and they will each be rewarded according to their own labor. For we are co-workers in God's service. You are God's field, God's building. I read the, 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 the worldly story, and then I read this moment in Paul's life that he's writing to the Corinthians, and I realize God's all given us a seed. God's all given us a seed. And Paul makes it very clear that what happens to that seed really doesn't need to depend on you. It doesn't need to depend on me. It doesn't need to depend on the different preachers that have, that have worked here through the years. You know, it, it's funny. I ask from time to time different people, hey, who's your favorite preacher that's ever been at Ninth Avenue? I've not once had one person say me. I can't figure that out yet. But, um, but I hear a lot of other different great names. And I know there's been some great men that have stood before you and have preached and have proclaimed and have watered you. And Paul says, it's not about them. It's about who? It's about who? It's about God. Let God grow you the way that God wants you to grow. Let God grow this church the way that God wants this church to grow. Let's make it a point to be like the people that are following Jesus and say, you're going to be our king. You're going to be the most important. You're going to be the ruler of our lives. You're going to be the one that we look to, the one that we strive to be like, the one that we let have control. Let's not be like the Pharisees who says, we want it to be this way or that way. We want it to be our way. We want you to calm down. We want you to get control of this. No, let us make it 
our focal point as the Ninth Avenue Church of Christ above everything else to say Jesus is king of our lives. And when he's king of our lives, he will be king of our church. And when he's king of our church, we will grow and become the church that he desires us to be. Let's go to God in prayer. God, we thank you for today. We thank you for our time together and the time that we've spent singing praises to you and, and exalting your name and, and glorifying your name. We, we are thankful for Jesus and for the kingship that he can claim. And we pray that we all leave this place with a better understanding of how he needs to be the thing in our life. God, I thank you for this church family and for the desires that they have to, uh, to serve you and to worship you and, and to let you lead them, God. Help us to always keep you as the focal and center point in everything that we do. We thank you for Jesus' sacrifice. We thank you for his death, but we are also equally grateful for his miraculous resurrection and that those things all combined give us hope of salvation and eternal life and forgiveness in ways that were never, never possible prior to that moment. Help us to live in the shadow of that sacrifice and the cross every day. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. If this program has been beneficial to you, please consider subscribing on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, or your favorite podcast provider. Also, we'd love for you to leave us a five-star review, which will greatly assist us in getting the message of God's love and salvation to others. We'd love even more for you to join us in person. We are located at 2309 9th Avenue in Haleyville, Alabama. You can also check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Be sure to join us again, and until then, remember, we are a Church of Christ caring for its community.